Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to talk about the White House and cocaine. I love cocaine! It's hunters, right? Oh, no, I'm not allowed to say that? Well, we'll we'll get into it because uh, I think they've created the reasons why all of us can say, what does true matter? What does it matter if it's true if they won't even tell us who was at the White House when the cocaine was found or before the cocaine was found? They won't even state that they're going to drug test everybody in the White House which would be the demand if it happened under Trump, which is why I believe that everybody can talk about it and you can clearly state if they're going to tell me they're never sure, they're not sure they're ever going to be able to find the culprit, well, then I've just decided it belonged to Hunter and that's just the way it is. I love cocaine! Call me any rude name you want. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. That is my name. That is the show. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. I'm going to get to that story. I've got the Ben and Jerry's story uh, to to get to. I have got, I I said Ben and Jerry's wrong. Eh, It doesn't matter. I don't like those guys anyway. But I think the markets are the story. And this story that ADP, said that private sector companies added 497,000 jobs in June. Now, let's start with a basic. Uh, you, you've, you've got first whether or not I trust ADP. And the answer is I don't because they have had wild, wild um, predictions that never came true. They have missed it above and below in big ways. But if I remember right, the last couple of months they've been on track. 497,000 is more than double the expectation. The, in, in, in May, we added 267,000 jobs. And the estimate for June was 220,000. The estimate's 220 and you come in at 497. First, remember, we're talking about ADP. Yeah, we're talking about the payroll people. We are not having a conversation about uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS numbers. We're not having the real numbers. This is uh, the ADP numbers. But you look at this, leisure and hospitality led with 232,000 new hires, construction 97,000, and trade, transportation, utilities at 90,000. Will this correlate to the data that we see at the end of the month, right? First Friday of the month, we get, we get the numbers, we get the data. Well, we won't know until tomorrow. But we do know the reaction. And the reaction is just huge. When you see that in the pre-market, we don't know where the day is going to end. I want to discuss the pre-market. It was down over 260 points. The NASDAQ was down over 160 points. Why? Why in the world would the markets react to jobs negatively? Because that many jobs means that the Federal Reserve's moves to try and keep the economy from growing too fast have all failed. 
all of the moves and maneuvers that have been put into place, the, the increase of interest rates to try and slow down the growth of the country didn't work. And you say to yourself, well, the country's growing. This is a, this is, this is a good thing. Is it? Because the market just reacted negatively. And the market reacting negatively correlates to the fact that this means that the Fed is clearly going to have to further increase interest rates in order to slow down the economy, which is needed to deal with what? Inflation. That's messed up. Messed up. Now, all of this could be bunk because it's ADP. And what we're seeing is nothing more than reaction to reaction. And it's not the actual data. Much ado about nothing. But in the much ado about nothing, the 10-year treasury is up above 4%. The two-year treasury is up over 5%, which means, I mean, you look at, you look at these, these, these numbers. These numbers may be a little bit old, but a three-month treasury, or actually, you know what, I'll do the six-month. The six-month treasury is paying 5.5%, and a 10-year treasury is paying 4%. So never mind the fact that the 10-year is paying pretty well. It's up in a pretty good way. It's still cheaper to keep your money in short term than long term. This is referred to as an inverted yield curve. And if you look it up, look it up with me. Why don't we know what these uh, uh, things mean? Inverted yield curve. A yield curve inverts when long-term interest rates drop below short-term rates, indicating that investors are moving money away from short-term bonds and into long-term ones. The inverted curve has proven in the past to be a reliable indicator of a recession. With an inverted yield curve, the yield decreases the further away the maturity date is, also known as a negative yield curve. Translation, problems, not a solid economy. You would think the longer you invest, the more that you can make. That would be the rational point of view, right? The rational thing to have happen. That's not where we're at. That's not what the numbers are showing. So one has to hope, beyond hope, that what we see from the BLS tomorrow are numbers that actually provide a bit of, okay, it's not as insane as we thought. I'm here to tell you, just based on what you saw today, you get your, I mean, because who knows where the market's going to end. You end up with 400,000 plus jobs. You end up doubling the 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 expectation. Dude, people are going to freak. And then they're going to look at people like Jerome Powell and say, how'd you get it so wrong? And Jerome Powell's going to say, 
All I want to do is get this inflation to stop. I've told you I'm going to stop it multiple times. You guys keep freaking out. Biden's going to somehow tell you about how this economy is just great and terrific and wonderful. You got to love it. You got I shared that with you yesterday from, was it Andrea Mitchell over at MSNBC? And she's trying to wonder, you know, uh, how in the world does 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 Joe Biden go about, you know, talking about uh, the the economy? Because because he no one's really talking about his uh, his fine work with the economy and how things are going and his great economic record. What what possible great economic record could you be talking about? It's just it's just irrational that you would say it. I know I've got it. Oh, I'm searching for it. She was talking to Democratic Congressman Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. Okay, here it is. Here it is. Well, first, I wanted to ask you about uh, what you see coming up. You've got two presidential candidates already on the Republican side from your state. The president's heading down there. We all know that he wouldn't have won the nomination arguably without you and without South Carolina. It was pivotal to his victory. And South Carolina is now the first Democratic primary. So the, the Democratic National Committee has gone ahead with what you have long wanted, is to have a more diverse population in the first primary. Um, but tell me about the president's disapproval uh, ratings and how you counteract that. He's not getting credit for his economic achievements. What economic achievements? There was an article was in the Wall Street Journal or the the New York Times. America hasn't bought into Biden to, to Bidenomics, but markets are starting to turn around. Is that right? Markets are starting to turn around. I I swear to you, I have no idea what these people are thinking or saying at any moment. Markets are turning around. Today is going to be bumpy. And that's why I lead with it. Because this is going to absolutely get people to make mistakes and get jittery. Look, I'm not telling you you ever have to trust me on the market. I'm telling you never to take stock advice from me. Never, ever do it. But these ADP numbers aren't reliable, even though they've been on track the last couple of months, I believe. So take it with a grain of salt. The jumping of the yield curves of of the 10-year treasury, that's real. Maybe this is a perfect time to talk to whoever you talk to about investing and say, hey, should I put into a to a six month? It's paying five and a half. I don't need this pot of money for, for six months. Might as well make some money with it. So I think a lot of those moves are going to take place, and I don't think you should avoid those moves, I, I, or at least avoid the opportunity to get into those moves. You should take advantage of them. And if you want to add insult to the injury, Mortgage demand has dropped to its lowest level in a month. So 30-year fixed is now 6.85%. And if the jobs numbers do come in tomorrow, like ADP is suggesting they've come in today, you have a Federal Reserve that's going to raise interest rates even higher. Oh, yeah. Bidenomics is working fantastic. This is Tony Katz today. I figure before I start hitting the audio, maybe I should give you a warning. Um, this is a weird conversation. And it's not because on CBS this morning they had a whole conversation about menstruation. 
That's not weird. That is part of life for women who are actually women. Men don't do that. Doesn't matter what they wear. Doesn't matter what they call themselves. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what voice they use. No man menstruates. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Yeah, uh, uh, school is in session. I'm uh, Dr. Katz, and I am here to give you uh, the honest answer. Men don't menstruate. Never have and never will. But there is this, this woman who has this company called August. Is, is, is that it? And, and August is, uh, yeah, she's Nadja Okamoto. Uh, she's the co-founder and CEO of this company, and they sell feminine hygiene products and other things. And she's on CBS this morning talking to Gail King about her products, which are blowing up and uh, getting on the Target uh, store, uh, store, store shelves. Thank you, Tony. And doing great. And here's how she describes the importance of her product. Because periods make human life possible. Yes. It's potentially one of the most natural biological processes of life. And yet history and society has built up this stigma that makes menstruators feel so ashamed. Yes. It makes us feel like there's something wrong with our bodies. We're taught that period blood is this contaminable, like disgusting dirty, thing. Nasty. Dirty, nasty. Yes. And I think that... It always breaks my heart to hear so many stories every day of young menstruators who get their period and have never heard about it, right? In 30 seconds, she doesn't mention women. She talks about how it creates life, how it's, it's, you know, this is about life. But she doesn't refer to people who menstruate as women. She refers to them as menstruators. They're women. Why are we celebrating... Nadja Okamoto, when she doesn't recognize women. She has a product that works to erase women in the one place where we can't have any debate on whether or not it's only women that can do the thing. It's only women that can do the thing. Yet here is this woman proudly erasing other women. This is what wokeism does. That's why I bring it up. I bring it up because, I mean, you got to hear how she engages this conversation. So, August, to me, is the result of spending years in the space identifying pain points, whether they be around sustainability. Like, I grew up hating pads. Most pads have enough plastic for, like, three to five plastic bags, right? Yeah. So, very scratchy, very uncomfortable, but also wanting a period-positive, gender-inclusive brand. So, mm. we are August, wanting a gender-inclusive name. On the back, it says we're here for everyone who menstruates. This is unserious. Only women menstruate. You're not a gender-inclusive brand. You're telling women that they don't exist? Why are you so damn proud of yourself? But there really seems to be, in, in a younger generation, whether it's millennials or Gen Z, they're, they're totally fine with all this gender bending. They're absolutely fine with the erasing of women and the detachment from scientific reality. That's, that is a fault of parents. That's a fault of parents. Who don't say enough is enough. Erasing women is totally messed up, especially when women do it. We shouldn't allow this. We should fight against this. 
fighting against is what's happening to Ben and Jerry's. Oh, oh, I could not be happier with what's happening to Ben and Jerry's. Because Ben and Jerry's decided that uh, July 4th, Independence Day, was a good time uh, to let everybody know that the United States rests on stolen land and it has to be returned. This is the tweet they put out. And now, uh, according to the reporting, Ben and Jerry's is getting the Bud Light treatment and people are talking about boycotts. They should have been talking about boycotts a couple years back, just like we were. When Ben and Jerry's was like, oh, we don't sell our product in the occupied Palestinian territories by Israel. What are you talking about? Yes, I know that the Ben and Jerry's guys are Jewish. I am too. Uh, look, look, uh, what, do you, what do you want from me? Some people just uh, not so much with the sechel. Uh, the, the, the mind, the, the mentality, the, uh, the brains, the smarts. There's a group of people every year who take Independence Day to say this is a terrible place. We should give it up. What are they really willing to give up? It's the same conversation as we're talking about this, this product, August, and the idea that somehow your period or menstruation uh, is, uh, is gender-inclusive. It's not. It's virtue-signaling nonsense. Why? This is marketing? How does Ben and Jerry's think that this is good marketing? The United States was founded on stolen indigenous land. This 4th of July, let's recommit to returning it. To whom? Do you know how many tribes were at war with one another and killed one another and stole from one another and raped one another? How are you going to decide who it goes back to? What are you talking about? And if you wanted to hand Ben and Jerry's over to some indigenous tribe, you're more than welcome to. I would never stop you. Bloody heck, I might even applaud you. But how in the world do you give back the land? What kind of statement is this? This is the in kind, this is the kind of embarrassing claptrap that happens from the political left and pseudo-intellectualism. It has to end. This doesn't teach kids how to be smart. It teaches them nothing. It engages a conversation that is wholly stupid in every bit of its de- dictionary definition and tries to elevate it to something of value. You have heard me talk about art and my, my opposition to nihilism. My opposition to nihilism and what has happened in the art world, I cannot describe it enough. Art has become meaningless for far too many, and the actual art is meaningless. Now we're engaged in the words being meaningless. It signals some kind of, look how good I am, but the actual thought, when brought to its conclusion, brings nothing. Who are you going to return the land to? What land? Where are the people going to live? What does it even mean? And that's when you learn that, of course, it it doesn't mean anything. Ben and Jerry's put out a a tweet and 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 a message that doesn't say anything, that doesn't do anything, that won't change anything. My God, Colin Kaepernick could have written this. So that they get boycotted for it. I don't find by me. Don't don't eat Ben and Jerry's. I'm not eating Ben and Jerry's. Screw them. But understand that they're not bright people. This is not great intellect we're looking at here. This is the lowest of the low mind at play. Saying nothing, believing that they've done something, and assuming that you're wrong for not agreeing with them. You don't agree with them because what they said is ridiculous. 
And you should be clear about that with everyone you know. What they said is ridiculous. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Now, maybe it's because last week I was on vacation when quite literally every news story in America was breaking. You had all the Supreme Court uh, decisions going on uh, in, in my beloved Indianapolis. My gosh, there was a ton of news. And then, of course, there was the story of a coup. I mean, the first text I got from somebody in the know was, hey, you might want to take some cash out of the bank because if Putin decides to get angry, it's going to be nothing but cyber attacks against the U.S. banking system. And I said, oh, well, this is one heck of a way to start a vacation, isn't it? But for everything that took place in those 36, 48, 72 hours where Prigozhin was leading this PMC, this private military company, Wagner, and was heading up to Moscow, and he was going to take on Putin because Putin had attacked him, or he didn't attack him. Maybe it didn't matter. False flag, not false flag. This was a moment for Prigozhin. Next thing you know, he's a couple hundred miles from Moscow. He's not meeting any resistance. He turns around and he leaves. Next thing you know, Prigozhin's gone. Is he in Belarus? Nobody knows. The people who are part of his private military company are now signed up to be soldiers in the Russian army. Putin's still in power, but what actually happened here? Doesn't that matter? And why in the world would a story this big go so quiet so quick? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Let me bring in right now Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point guy. Let's start from the beginning, because I think I've given a good overview of what happened in the lead up and then what happened thereafter, but no one's given a good answer to what the hell actually happened here. So walk us through the pieces. Why did Yevgeny Prigozhin, Yevgeny Prigozhin, forgive me, why did he decide that somehow the Russian military attacked him, meaning Vladimir Putin attacked him through one of his ministers? Why did he decide to go straight on to Moscow? And why did he decide to turn around? Yeah, Tony, you set it up very well. Great to be back with you. Um, let's yeah, take it from the very beginning. So he runs the Wagner Group, which is basically Vladimir Putin's private mercenary army. They have influence not just in Ukraine after fighting in Bakhmut and other places along the front, but they have tentacles in Syria. They have tentacles in Africa. They're, they're on the lead of Russia trying to secure rare earth minerals, which are the whole world's fighting for those right now. And so, you know, Prigozhin for the past few months had kind of set the, the table a little bit about a rebellion he might have based on some of the comments he'd been make about the support for Moscow. So the, the Wagner group is not treated like regular Russian soldiers. They get fed better. They have better equipment and better uniforms They're You know, the, initially they you know out of prisons or so. But but, you know, great, not great soldiers. But the bottom line is that they get funded. Well, he decided he had enough. This was a mutiny. No question about it after those troops had been pulled off the front from from Bakhmut. And um, Rostov Amdam was a place where Russia has significant logistics, logistical support. And he decides to put a group together and do a road march and see how far they could go. Now, it's not a coup. They weren't looking to overthrow Vladimir Putin, but he was sending a signal to Shoigu and to Gerasimov, the other Russian military leaders, saying that they were doing poorly. Um, he, he, he thought no, Vladimir Putin. Wait yeah. one second. Let's take a step back. It mm -hmm. wasn't a coup. 
Every conversation about it being a coup and Prigozhin was looking to take on uh, Putin, take over Putin. That was all wrong. Yeah, it wasn't a coup. It was a mutiny. And there's a difference because a coup would mean, you know, he would have to have taken over the communications. He would have to have done a lot to overthrow the government. Look, he got about 120 miles from Moscow. There was nothing stopping him from continuing to go there. It exposed the fact that the Praetorian Guard was nowhere in sight. They weren't able to protect uh, the, the, the Kremlin, so to speak. No, it, it was a mutiny. It was designed to be a power play. And, to, you know, I think Prigozhin had complained. He didn't think Russia was fighting violently enough, didn't think that they were moving fast enough. And so you, you bring it all together. But Vladimir Putin still looks at the situation at hand and says, you know, he can't still throw those other two, Shoigu, who is the minister of defense, more of a politician. The other guy, Gerasimov, same thing, more of a politician, neither one of them are soldiers. The bottom line about about Prigozhin is this. He endures the hardship. He dresses up. He's got Instagram followers. He's good at communication. So from a leadership perspective, he was the one that was able to get the guys, the Wagner Group guys, to follow him on this mutiny and, and take it for as far as he can. He completely miscalculated, though. There's no, there's no, I suspected he thought he was going to win at the end of this. And uh, you know, he gets he, he gets his life spared, but he's banished to Belarus. Well, now uh, that leads us to the follow up question, not a coup, a mutiny. Was the mutiny based on something legitimate, as in did Putin's uh, forces, did did his uh, ministers actually engage a bombing of the I said Wagner Wagner of forces? Or was mm-hmm. that all just pretense, as we see a lot of false flag conversations that take yeah. place when we talk about Ukraine? And this was just an opportunity. Maybe he thought it was an opportunity to raise his raise his cue. Yeah, it would have to have been very well planned. But there, you know, clearly the reports show that the Wagner Group fired on the Russian Air Force and downed the helicopter. There was casualties and everything. So it looked looks as real as possible. Um, and, and for for it to be this kind of, again false flag, there's a lot of fiction going on here. It it, it, it was took a significant amount of planning. I, I think that he took it too far. I think he really thought that Vladimir Putin was going to back him up. And I thought that that, that Putin he thought that maybe Putin would put him in charge of all the troops. But but Tony, the other thing, too, is those Wagner troops did not necessarily join the Russian military. Oh, no, no, no. There have no uh, they've been they've been reconstituted. They're 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 not being sent to the so-called front uh, like, you know, Hogan's Heroes, the Russian front. That's not happening. Um, You know, you're seeing after the fact now um, that that those those individuals are going to get reconstituted back in places like maybe Belarus, maybe sent to Syria and Africa again. But but Vladimir Putin's not giving up on the Wagner group. He's had to come out against them because of what's happened to try to save some face. But he's not giving up. Each of these different groups now, these these um, the 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 power, you know, the oligarchs and the, and the warlords really is what they are inside of Russia have their own private militaries, and right now Vladimir Putin's got the best one in the Wagner Group. So now uh, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. This leads us to where is Prigozhin at this very moment? And is his life in danger? Is Putin willing to just leave it be? I mean, there was a report, Newsweek, I think it was, mm-hmm. had the report, hold on, I, I think I have it right here, uh, that the Putin deal hands uh, Prigozhin $111 million in cash and gold bars, according yeah. to Russian media. That doesn't sound like a guy who's, you know, in fear for his life. Right. Where is he and what's going to happen to him? 
Yeah, so he he was traced to Belarus for a while. He's trying to get back some things. I, I he's been spotted in Moscow. In fact, um, I again think there's going to be some time passing. He's not, you know, he's popular amongst his troops. So so you martyr him amongst the twenty five thousand or plus Wagner groups and soldiers that are that are out there. This is all about them as well. The the the, the rank and file that that support him. If you look at his Instagram pictures, they're also in the pictures and, and, and the like. So, um, you know, he, he gets to Belarus in six months from now. And if he has a formidable force there, now they could start the little green man campaign that, that uh, they did in Crimea, uh, potentially into the Baltics, Latvia, Estonia. I know Poland has already activated its border. They're sending more than 500 more border patrol uh, troops to because they're concerned about him going there. So he still remains a wild card, I don't think he's getting, you know, the cup of cyanide tea or pushed out the window just yet. I think Vladimir Putin's going to keep him alive and see how this thing breaks out. Well, what's the what's the win? He's popular with his troops. I get that. Is the win that if you kill him, those troops will also once again mutiny? Yeah. Or is there some other advantage that Prigozhin gets because uh, – Look, a deal can always be struck, can always be made. Uh, 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 Prigozhin clearly sees himself as a somebody, and there's no doubt that he is just as volatile and dangerous and bloodthirsty uh, as we believe Putin uh, to be. It's not like he's some kind of hero. Uh, in 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 this situation, so yeah. is is there a possibility of seeing Prigozhin back in a place at Putin's side? Yeah, you know, it's kind of maybe not his side, but uh, if you use the crime family analogy with what's going on in Russia, the Prigozhin's an earner. Uh, he makes money for the Kremlin. He makes money for Vladimir Putin, and that's what why he's valuable. Um, and the and the math is, if you take him out, no, that those revenue streams stop, um, his influence stops. Um, but but so you know, he, he gets banished to a to a neighboring country which is fundamentally a, a an arm of the Soviet, you know the former soviet union anyway belarus is, is you know friends i have from belarus say they were raised russian i mean it, it's really part much much more part of russia than actually uh ukraine could be <clears throat> so um you know he's under the thumb there of lukashenko and that that situation and now he he pumps up lukashenko making him look look good um i think vladimir putin is, again is going to put some more time in between here look for other things to distract and um eventually wagner becomes in 6 months they get back to doing what they do best and that's terrorizing uh other countries and and taking material and and taking uh you know taking advantage of it one of the things that got discussed when this happened, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, was the idea that this made Putin look weak. It showed him to be weak on the world stage. You mm-hmm. call it a mutiny, not a coup. Did the mutiny weaken Vladimir Putin to never mind the world community, although that's part of the question, but to his own people and to his own military leaders and to those oligarchs who are wondering whether or not they need to keep up with this anymore, put up with this anymore. So if you monitor the first 48 to 72 hours after, um, there are certain other individuals that are, have disappeared. Some oligarchs have left. This, this turned out to be a loyalty test. And those loyal have stayed and uh, they've reconsolidated. So I wouldn't say it's it weakened him significantly, maybe not strengthened him like he'd like to be. He didn't consolidate, you know, he didn't consolidate power. Like you said, like you see in the Godfather, we didn't, you know, that, that didn't happen. But, um, 
you know, overall, he's still calling the shots. He created that ceremony where uh, the individuals that were responsible for uh, stopping the convoy, for example, they were celebrated in the, in one of the most historic places in, in the Kremlin there and in the outside. So, you know, they, they created enough pomp and circumstance around what happened. And they originally put out bad information uh, on Prigozhin that, that said they was funded. Uh, he is he has been stealing from the state, so to speak. But um, but again, they can keep this information away from that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that going forward, they won't continue to fund him. And he does, you know, Russia's dirty work, which is really what he's been doing. That's just part one of my conversation with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Part two gets into what's the future for Ukraine and dear Lord, what is going on with this nuclear facility? Are we about to see this fight lead to a serious nuclear issue or is it all just a lot of talk about something that really isn't what people claim that it is which of course is always uh, the case people make a big deal out of something because it creates big headlines but we're not interested in what the big headline is we're interested in what the story is and what is ukraine's future can they actually win it and does it require us to spend even more money and exactly how much money And how many resources are we really willing to put into this battle, put into this fight? I will get to all of that. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. I promised I would go over this yesterday, and I didn't get to it, about former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, candidate for president, going after Jared Kushner. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. This is about Saudi Arabia and a $2 billion investment where Kushner created an investment firm and then Saudi Arabia invested $2 billion. You're like, what the heck happened here? I admit to you that I don't know much of the story. And part of the reason is is that I don't know if I 100% buy into everything that I have read because going after Jared Kushner, going after the Trump family is standard operating procedure. That's what happens time and time and time again. So every time they go after him, I, 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 take, a, I take a pause, I take a breath. I'm like, what are we actually discussing here? But when you find cocaine in the White House, I love cocaine! Well, that's just a laugh riot. That's not even a big deal. I don't even know why you're talking about that. And that's why I look at some of these stories over time and I'm like, "Ah, I'm just not there. But maybe I need to take a look. That could just be me. But I think it's interesting that Chris Christie thinks that this is a conversation that will help him get to the White House. This was him on CNN. Let's remember something. He's a billionaire. He's a billionaire, self-professed billionaire. Why can't he use his own money to pay his personal legal fees and not use money coming from the public? It's disgraceful. And it's a continued grift. And look, the Trump family has been involved in grifting for quite some time. Um, He was doing this in terms of the, the people who got paid out of this pack before whether it was Kimberly Guilfoyle or other members of the family, Jared Kushner, six months after he leaves the White House, gets $2 billion from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund when Donald Trump had put him in a position to be in the Middle East. What was Jared Kushner doing in the Middle East? 
We had Rex Tillerson and Mike Pompeo as secretaries of state. We didn't need Jared Kushner. He was put there to make those relationships, and then he cashed in on those relationships when he left the office. So what Donald Trump's doing now is just a continuation of what he's permitted his family to do over the entire course of his time as president. Why do you think he's not using his own money to pay for his legal fees? Because he's the cheapest person I've ever met in my life. Okay. This is not going to get you to the White House. This is going to get Democrats to claim to love you, and then they would all vote for Biden anyway. So so this this doesn't work. As a as just a, a reality, a political reality, this does not work. But go back for, for a, a moment. If Jared Kushner was working on the Abraham Accords, which is what I thought he was doing, and actually got praise for, well, then that's what he was doing. But let's make the different argument that Jared Kushner was creating relationships for himself and was working an angle to ensure that he could get investments. Let's say that that's absolutely what happened. You could argue that that's disgraceful. You're more than welcome to argue that that is disgraceful. But if you want the political right to say, you know what, it's so disgraceful, I can't vote for Trump, that's just not going to be the way it works. Because it won't be seen as criminal. It won't move enough people. And if the left wants to say that's disgraceful, the right's going to say, can we talk about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and the multi-million dollar payoffs that took place from the Ukrainian government? So, so is that a no? Is that a yes? No? Yes? You get my point. You can say that you find it despicable all you want, Chris Christie, and some people might agree with you, but it isn't going to move the electorate. It, it just, as, as a matter of sheer conversation, it won't. This is Tony Katz today.